This episode is brought to you by Tranquil Path Financial Planning. Britta Keff is a dedicated special needs financial planner at Tranquil Path Financial Planning. Britta's personalized approach in fee-only planning ensures unbiased, tailored advice. Britta specializes in retirement planning and addressing the unique financial challenges of families with special needs kids anywhere in the United States. Navigating government benefits and long-term needs planning can be overwhelming and stressful, but with Britta's guidance, families find clarity and peace of mind. Secure your family's future with a compassionate and knowledgeable partner. Contact Britta Kepf at Tranquil Path Financial Planning for personalized financial planning that meets your family's unique needs. For more information or to contact Britta, visit TranquilFP.com. That's T-R-A-N-Q-U-I-L-F-P.com. This episode is brought to you by Mightier. Mightier is a biofeedback-based video game platform that teaches kids to emotionally self-regulate. This leads to a significant reduction in meltdowns and parental stress. It's backed by science out of Harvard Medical and Boston Children's and has helped over 100,000 kids. For more information, visit theautismdad.com forward slash mightier. That's theautismdad.com forward slash M-I-G-H-T-I-E-R and use the code theautismdad22 to save 10%. Welcome to the Autism Dad Podcast. I'm Rob Gorski. As a single dad to three amazing autistic kids, I've been the go-to global resource for autism parenting since 2010. For the past seven seasons, this podcast has provided parents with education, connection, resources, validation, and hope. This season, you'll hear from parents just like you, as well as my own kids, who will offer their unique perspective on what it's like for them to navigate the world as young autistic people. I'll feature experts from across various relevant fields, from parenting and education to therapies, nutrition, self-care, and more. So join us each week and connect with people who get it. You can subscribe on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. And for more information, to be a guest or learn about sponsorship opportunities, please visit theautismdad.link. On this week's episode, friend of the pod, Britton Coleman is back, uh, also known as the Autism Dietitian. She and I are going to have a whole conversation all about avoidant restrictive food intake disorder or ARFID for short. I had no idea what this was until uh, you guys started asking questions, and then Britton and I had this this conversation. So there's a lot of misunderstandings. There's a lot of things that I think most people aren't aware of. And we're going to talk about what are the symptoms, how is it different from picky eating versus like sensory eating, and how is it diagnosed, what to look out for, and what are the treatment options for something like this. So thank you all so much for taking the time to tune in. Keep those questions coming, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Uh, thank you, Britton, for taking the time to come back on the show. I appreciate that. Uh, since our last episode, uh, last year, um, or last season, I have received so many questions about, uh, something very specific that I didn't even know existed. I had to look it up. And, uh, so you were kind enough to come back and we're going to have a conversation about this to help educate parents. And, and then we're going to talk about, uh, a couple other things before we tie things off. So, uh, could you take a second and kind of just reintroduce yourself so people know who you are and, and what you do? For sure. Thanks so much for having me again. And I just had you on my podcast. It's always so much fun when we can get together because I feel mm-hmm. like we always have really interesting conversations. So yes, we do. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, if you didn't listen to my other episode with Rob on his podcast last season, my name is Britton Coleman. I'm a registered dietitian and I specialize in kids on the autism spectrum. My brother is autistic. And so I, you know, throughout my whole life, he's my younger brother. And so I've learned so much about nutrition and limited eating and the importance of creating a sensory friendly approach for kids on the spectrum to be able to expand their diets. And so that's what I do every single day with um, the families that I support is help their kids get the right nutrients and doing that by expanding their diets in this sensory oriented way to help them eat new things and get some more variety. And um, yeah, I love doing it. It's, it's definitely my calling. I really love being able to, to support families in this. Well, thank you. And there's, there's very few registered dietitians who specialize specifically in working with autistic kids. So that's a really cool, uh, that's a really cool kind of place to be at. Thanks. Uh, and there's definitely a need for it, which I'm sure everybody listening is aware. I think it definitely takes some personal experience to understand. Yeah. One huge reason why there's not a ton of dietitians in this field is they don't talk about it at all. It was never mentioned once in my curriculum. And as dietitians, we're a part of allied health, which includes speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, and they're talking about it. But why aren't we? And so I, um, because I had that personal experience, was able to integrate that into 
um, my curriculum, choosing to write every research paper, every project, everything that I could. I did my master's and specialized in autism. So um, it's hopefully something that becomes a lot more talked about in my profession. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely a need for it, but I'm glad that you're here kind of filling that gap and, and, and helping parents because it does make a big difference. And it's something that so many parents struggle with, right? Myself included. Um, but, but since our last episode, I have received uh, just dozens and dozens and dozens of questions from people wanting to talk about ARFID. And for people who don't know what that is, that's avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And so, uh, I, I kind of grabbed a few questions that, that people were asking and I thought we could kind of talk about it. And then, uh, we'll get into some things about supplements and then talk a little bit about what you're doing, uh, at the autism dietitian. So parents can connect and, and find help. Sounds good. Um, so, okay. What is, what is ARFID? Like, can you just kind of help us understand what that is? Yeah. So, I mean, you said it perfectly, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. So it is actually a mental health diagnosis. I think a lot of people don't really? realize that it's actually an eating disorder is what it is. So if you were to get an ARFID diagnosis, you would actually be going to a mental health professional. So. ARFID, why it's different than all of the other eating disorders is that it doesn't take into account how you feel about your body. So other eating disorders, you are limiting the foods that you're oh. eating because you are trying to restrict or become smaller in your body. And there's a lot of other pieces wrapped up in that. ARFID mm -hmm. does not. So that is one of the main diagnostic criteria is that you do have a limited diet, but it's not due to body image. So the reason why a lot of people will, I mean, ARFID, <laughs> the characteristics of it, oftentimes the limitation comes down to extreme anxiety around food. It can also come down to extreme sensory versions. And so we start to see a lot of overlap between autism and ARFID because they both share anxiety around food often, but especially the sensory experience. So we have that extreme sensory aversion that's that's built in there. So we do see higher rates of ARFID in uh, children who are also neurodiverse. So ADHD, autism, uh, you know, you name it, the whole the whole spectrum. So um, I think a lot of people don't understand that, and they just hear ARFID and just think it's oh they're just you know it's extreme picky eating, which I mean it is, but there's so much more to it than that, and you know, digging deeper into what is the, uh, like psychological piece behind it as well. I had no idea that it was actually a mental health disorder. And, and so that kind of goes into one of the questions that I have is, is how, how is it different than in just dealing with like autistic kids? Cause I think that's where sort of the questions are coming from or parents raising kids or neurodivergent. How is it different than sensory eating or, or like, you know how kids have like five foods they'll eat and they're super picky about texture and smell and sight and all that stuff. How, how is, or is it different than, than that? I think that's a good question. I think that, um, you know, unless you were to actually go and get a diagnosis, be evaluated, I think that sometimes, you know, it's hard to be able to make that call by yourself. You know, what I typically tell parents, the cutoff for where I start getting worried about a limited diet is fewer than 20 foods. Now, I often see that kids and adults with ARFID, I mean, this isn't just limited to kids. That number is typically fewer than 10. I mean, this is not the diagnostic criteria, but what I see oftentimes fewer than five. So we're talking very, very limited um, diets that can also, you know, increase odds of nutrient deficiencies and a lot of nutritional and medical issues as well. And um, so that's, I see whenever kids start getting really limited five to 10 foods is where I'm like, Ooh, let's, let's start talking about this. Let's open up the conversation because I like parents to at least know about this diagnosis to see, you know, let's sit in it. Let's think about this. Do you notice other pieces of this diagnosis? And is it worth going to get that diagnosis or that diagnosis? of ARFID and looking more into it because it does open up the gates for more help with, you know, feeding therapy and for your doctors to unfortunately take you seriously because sometimes they just write it off. 
and are just like, they'll grow out of it. It's fine. It's typical. Autistic kids are always picky. Like all of those things that just really write off the parent. It's and it di- really kind is of dismissive. It's very dismissive. Yeah. So, so if a, so when I'm, when I, when you, when you're describing that, I'm thinking about my kids when they were younger and like my youngest had like five foods that he would eat and that's it. Things couldn't touch. And it was like mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, uh, French fries. Um, can't even remember. Um, maple brown sugar oatmeal, but it had to come in those little packets, the, the pre yes. stuff. So, so there was a very limited amount of things. How, how would I know the difference between something like just, you know, extreme sensory related challenges versus somebody that has an ARFID diagnosis? Cause I think on the surface, they probably look very similar. They do. And you know, honestly, the approach will be very similar. If we are taking an approach for a child that is autistic, that has a very limited diet, I'm going to take a sensory first approach. Same thing with an ARFID diagnosis. We're going to go sensory first. And also, if you do realize that there is a lot of anxiety wrapped up in that, then that can be whether a child is ARFID or is autistic. We should address that anxiety as well. You know, that's something that we need to address. And so I think having that diagnosis kind of helps you understand, okay, here are all the pieces that we need to consider. Um, But at the end of the day, some of the approaches are very, very similar. And so I, you know, a lot of people join my membership who are like, I think that my child probably has ARFID. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what can we do about this? Well, I walked them through, okay, these are the steps that we're going to take to make sure that we're creating a sensory friendly approach for them and making sure that we're creating an environment that is also going to reduce anxiety for them and build an approach that is going to be less likely to create anxiety, pay attention to your child and their signs of overstimulation or signs of anxiety. But also if your child does have ARFID or you suspect them to, or if they have five to 10 foods, even under 20 foods, that is when I'm like, it actually would really benefit you not only to work with me, but to also have that one-on-one feeding therapy. And there are many different types of feeding therapy out there. And I always recommend the SOS approach which is a very sensory oriented approach. That is what I have been trained in and what I teach my families um, because we have to have that roped in there. Unfortunately, some feeding therapists are going to just take a behavioral approach. And um, I don't see that that is successful at all for kids with ARFID or autistic because we have to bring in the sensory piece. And I really want to make sure that therapists, feeding therapists are trained in that. And not just saying, sure, yeah, we can throw in feeding. That's not, that's not enough. We have to be very intentional and very methodical about how we're doing it. Because unfortunately, people who are not trained adequately in ARFID and autism can make picky eating, I mean, a lot worse. They can do more harm than good. Is this more common in autistic kids than neurotypical people? For sure. And mm-hmm. is it, is it the, the sensory related that. stuff that is the reason? Um. I think there's a huge overlap with that. And then the, you know, anxiety piece that can also come in as well. But I mean, we're also talking, I mean, other reasons for ARFID, it maybe a child had a traumatic experience with food. Like maybe they choked as a child and that was incredibly traumatic. It could also be a connection there. So um, there is, I I don't have that research. I don't know the statistic um, and, you know, have it in front of me for ARFID and autism, but we do know that there's increased rates of ARFID in autism. Now, just because someone has ARFID, that doesn't mean they're autistic and vice oh, versa. Yeah. But, um, you know, there can be a lot of other reasons and a child who is neurotypical could have had a very traumatic experience with food or have, you know, heightened anxiety or there could be, you know, a lot of other pieces mixed up in that as well. So if somebody suspects this, and their child, should they go to like their pediatrician to get a referral or like, how do you, how do you start that process? I think that's a good place to start. I think talking to your pediatrician and have write down your concerns. I always think coming prepared to the pediatrician is going to set you up for success. Um, yesterday I had my son's 15 month appointment and I always write down questions for myself, uh, like as the appointments coming up to remind 
me what I needed to ask. Mm -hmm. Because when you're there, you forget all of the things that you meant to bring up. And I didn't write them down this time. I only had a few questions. I got one answered because I just totally blanked and forgot. And I left and I was like, oh my gosh, I should have asked all these things. So when you're leading up to that appointment, I want you to be writing down your concerns, um, writing down your observations, what you're noticing about your child. If there's anything that you looked up online and was really worrisome to you or really stuck out to you, write it down, keep links and come to that um, appointment prepared because some doctors, well, many doctors, unfortunately, aren't experts in autism and especially ARFID. And so if you have a pediatrician who doesn't have that expertise or that um, familiarity with this, you may need to bring more information, unfortunately, kind of to convince them that you need the additional help. Now, developmental pediatricians, I often find, are a lot more well-versed in this, and the referrals are a lot easier because this is their area of expertise. Some people go out and, you know, do a self-referral um, and either pay out of pocket or some insurances don't require that you have a referral to a certain specialist. Um, so I think it totally depends on your situation. You're good. I just ripped the cord out of my headphones. Sorry about oh. that. <laughs> <You're good>. <laughs> <laughs> Never done that before. That was the very first time uh, I'd done that. So, so, so I, don't, I don't know where you ended. Did you, did you answer? Or finish yeah, up yeah. what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, finished up perfectly. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay. So when it comes to some of the nutritional challenges, because I think that's that's where a lot of parents get really concerned because there's like, uh, you know, weight concerns, you know, underweight usually, and just malnourished. What are some of the things, uh, what are some of the key nutritional challenges for autistic kids with ARFID? And like, what can parents do to help address those concerns? Well, if a child has ARFID, we need to be supplementing and filling in some of the gaps. Not all nutritional, not all nutritional deficiencies are visible. And so I think a lot of people are just like, well, you know, oh, they're in the 50th percentile. They're fine. Or a lot of parents have been told that I actually made a post a few weeks ago about this. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, I finally feel seen. Like, because my child's in the 50th percentile, I can't get a referral for feeding, but they eat three things. And so it's a total myth and misconception that weight and percentiles are the only factor that's important for health. And I think we get it, it gets so oversimplified. And so we need to be realizing that vitamin and mineral deficiencies are, they can be invisible. Now they can have very, very clear signs to them, right? Mm -hmm. Like obviously like a vitamin C deficiency, having scurvy is like, it's very it's more obvious. Um, but also doctors aren't looking for the signs of scurvy or the signs of a vitamin mineral deficiency. So getting labs done can be really beneficial. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit of convincing to, you know, get those labs done, unfortunately. Um, again, just remember, you know, I, I don't mean to beat on like pediatricians, but their expertise is medicine and like the growth and development of the child. It's not nutrition. And so they're, they've gotten maybe one or two hours of nutrition education their entire schooling like career. And so we can't rely on them to be the experts in everything, especially nutrition. So um, that's just one bit I have. If your child has fewer than 20 foods, we probably need to be supplementing with a multivitamin, like a high quality one. If your child's under 10 foods, a thousand percent. We need to be on a multivitamin to fill in the gaps while we're working on expanding the diet. There may be additional nutri nutrients that you can be supplementing with. There's no like one size fits all template for mm -hmm. supplements, but it's really common to need a multivitamin. Oftentimes I also will supplement with fish oil or like some kind of omega-3 supplement because that is really important nutrient for the brain and for focus. And if a child already has a limited diet, odds that they're eating like fish or omega-3 sources is super low. So that is like my number two next to a multivitamin. So if I had to choose two, those are my, my two go-tos. And the multivitamin needs to be including all of our vitamins and our minerals. Um, and then again, the fish oil would be separate. Some multivitamins will have a fish oil in there, but it's just, it's not enough. You mm -hmm. typically need another one. Um, now, sorry, I'm going on a tangent on supplements, but Oh, no, actually, we're, we're going to actually, we're going to talk about that too. So like it, this is, this is fine. Cause you may answer all those questions now. 
Okay, great. Well, the one mineral that we actually do not want in a multivitamin is iron. And a lot of people are surprised by that because they're like, well, my child is anemic. They need iron. Yes, they do. But it actually needs to be separate from your multivitamin because iron, um, I often, it, it kind of blocks absorption of other minerals, especially calcium. Calcium and iron are not friends. And so you want to take iron separately from your multivitamin, maybe like a few hours later or maybe with dinner. But you also don't want to take it with a high calcium food, so like a glass of milk. You wouldn't want to take that with iron. Um, you would want to use vitamin C instead. So like a glass of orange juice is the perfect thing to take with either an iron supplement or an iron wrench food because it actually helps. So there are small little tweaks like that with supplements and nutrients that, um, you know, it's not a huge difference, but you can like really make the absorption a lot more efficient, which is, I think, a really important thing for parents to know for kids that have limited diets. And, and I can hear parents thinking right now, like, I can't get my kid to eat anything. How am I going to get them to take a fish oil capsule or, you know, additional vitamins? Are there, are there creative ways of introducing that into kids uh, without, w- without them having to maybe swallow pills or, you know, you know what I mean? So I'm getting on my trusty syringe that I'm going to show you in a second, but Um, so the first advice that I would have for kids with limited diets, we never want to mix supplements with food, especially if it's a highly nutritious, safe food. We do not want to touch that. We do not want them to lose trust in it. We do not want them to drop that food because that is very real and very common that that will happen. And unfortunately it just, you know, that's what parents are told. We'll just put it in their milk, put it in their applesauce. That's actually one of the worst things that you can do for an autistic child or, you know, child with ARFID. Um, what I do is make it a completely separate experience and a consistent routine. We need to know to expect this. This is something that happens every single day after breakfast or wherever it is that is going to, um, you know, be doable for your family. When it comes to supplements, especially multivitamin and fish oil, we want to take those with food. So after breakfast is a really great time to do that. So what I would recommend getting like a small cup like, you know, like a little bathroom, uh, like Listerine cup or mouthwash cup. Mm-hmm. And you can put in a few fluid ounces of water or orange juice or whatever liquid it could be. I've had people use pomegranate juice because it's super tart and high yeah. taste. Um, you do that. Then you put the powder in and you mix it. I like to use those handheld milk brothers. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll do that. Mix it in. And so make it super soluble so there are no chunks and then suck it up into a medicine syringe and give it that way. So it's a separate experience. You're not messing with any preferred foods. You're not like trying, you know, your child's not going to lose trust in you. Um, And I, you know, there's a whole nother conversation for kids who don't like medicine syringes, but I just want to show you this. So this one is a medicine syringe that has a little cup that comes with it. And you can see there's up to 20 mils on this little cup. So you can mix it in here. And then what I like about this little syringe is that um, for people who can't see it's or listening to this on podcast, I forgot. It's the Hakka oral feeding syringe. Just search that um, on Amazon. But it looks like a bottle nipple and it has two openings that point either way. So it squirts it into the back. Instead of straight back. Instead of on your tongue. So the sensory experience is way better and you don't taste it as much. Okay. So this is what I prefer. They have like an off-brand, like non-Haka one in a three pack for like eight bucks or something. Um, These do last. They're better than like the ones you get at CVS, but you can get, go to CVS and ask them for some free syringes and they're just a regular kind, but you know, they're free. So that's nice. So what about the fish oil? Can you get that in liquid form or, or is it just in capsule? Yes. So they have it in a soft gel and they also have it in the liquid. And I, I really like the brand Nordic naturals and, um, I find that their supplements are easier to take. It's a lot smoother. Um, I don't know anyone listening, if you've ever taken a fish oil, but, uh, the fish burps are yuck. (laughs) I don't know, Rob, if you've ever experienced that, but they're gross. I find Nordic is better about that. I, I use krill oil yeah, now yeah. because I, I, it doesn't, it doesn't have that same, that where you're 
tasting fish for like the rest of the day, you know? Uh, yeah. I like the little, and, and they're real small, little red capsules. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, so, so you can't get, so you can yeah, get in and liquid form. It usually has, they have strawberry, orange, and lemon. Oh. Um, so you have flavors. Now, I don't want people to get tricked because you'll go online and it'll say unflavored. And you're like, oh, great. Like this is unflavored. It just means no. there's no flavor added to it. So yeah. it's straight fish oil. So that's the la- that's not what you want. We want the flavor in it and it really facilitates taking it. Again, you can mix it in something, but um, because that's a fat, it's not water soluble. So like you can't mix it in orange juice and expect it to stay mixed. It'll float on top. Yeah. So that's another reason why I like doing a syringe because imagine like, this is so disgusting. Just yeah. about it. But like, just imagine <laughs> you have like a cup and you put fish oil in there. It's going to float on top. Like imagine trying to take a sip and you just smell straight fish oil. That's uh, yeah. So like putting it in a syringe like this, you don't smell it. And our smell is so important to our taste. So you don't have that influence and is really going to help kids who maybe have sensory aversions. And I don't want to drink fish oil from a cup. Like to me, that sounds yucky. Yeah. It, well, even the pills or, or the capsules can be gross. Like, you I mean, you just, yeah, it's, it's so the, it's good that I, I didn't realize there was like a liquid form. I thought they were all like the gel caps. Yeah. Yeah. So Nordic does a bunch of um, liquid options and, um, you know, believe it or not, I actually have some kids, this this totally shocked me. They will bite, like chew the soft shells, which to me sounds like a terrible sensory experience, but I have a lot of kids that will do that. I would say they're usually like eight to 12 and they're just like, they pop it in and eat it. And I'm like, I am so shocked, but they like it. So I don't know. Um, whatever works, I guess. But whatever works, whatever works. Um, we don't judge here. Whatever works. Whatever (laughs) works. Um, I won't be doing that, but (laughs) you can. Um, also actually freeze fish oil capsules and it also helps with the fish burps too. This episode is brought to you by We Meditate. We Meditate is the first meditation platform tailored for children of all abilities promoting emotional balance and easier bedtimes. We Meditate offers a unique storybook experience where animal friends like Weasel, who navigates autism, and Fox, who alleviates anxiety, guide your children through calming meditations. With flexible content ranging from quick five-minute sessions to more immersive 30-minute journeys, as well as 60 minutes of music that kids can relax and fall asleep to, there's something for everyone. New meditations are added regularly, so there's always something fresh to explore. We Meditate is only $49.99 a year, for more information, please visit wemeditate.com. That's W-E-E-M-E-D-I-T-A-T-E.com and use the promo code the Autism Dad to save 10% off your first year. Yeah, I have I've heard that. I, I've definitely heard that. Um okay. So so now you guys know how you can you can kind of sneak the stuff in without sneaking the stuff in. Exactly. And, yeah. and why we don't want to like attach it to their safe foods. Cause it like, it sounds dramatic when we talk about like safe foods, we want them to trust foods, but it, it's such a real thing for these kids. And if you break that trust, then that's a food that may never come back. The anxiety peaks and like the trust plummets. And like, not only is it trust in food, but it's also trust in you as the caregiver because they're trusting you to yeah, give them yeah. foods that they can tolerate and that are safe for them. And I don't want them to lose that kind of trust. Um, so actually, in my, I have a membership called the Nourishing Autism Collective. And um, inside, I have a roadmap and it talks families through how to expand their child's diet. And then we have a whole section on supplements. And I actually have like a video tutorial on how to do all of this. Everyone who's listening, I mean, you can kind of figure out how to do that too. But for those who are incredibly visual or maybe already are members, there is like a video tutorial on how to mix supplements and um, like put it all together. And, ju- and just so you guys like understand how this, how this sort of works, like it, I'll just give you an example. Cause even people who are not neurodivergent, well, I'm neurodivergent, I have, I have ADHD, but even like just n- neurotypical people can have food aversions based on an experience, right? Like I was, I was like five years old and I had, my parents had made popcorn and it just, it, I ate a lot of popcorn and it just so happened that I ended up with a stomach bug that same night. 
And so I got sick. And for like the next 40 years, I have equated popcorn with being sick and I will almost never eat it. I want nothing to do with it, even though it has like, I like it. Like if I force myself to eat it, I'll, I'm like, oh, this is really good. (laughs) But I have, but I have to like make myself do that because I, I, I have that experience kind of like etched into my brain and it, and it taints the idea of ingesting popcorn, even though popcorn had like nothing to do with anything. And so that's sort of an, an extreme thing for me, but like, but but our kids, yeah, they, they will associate, they'll have that same kind of reaction and maybe they don't have the life experience or they're overwhelmed by the sensory related things that it just, and then the generalization, uh, and the anxiety it, it, and, and they just won't go back to it. So like, I'm just saying like, as a grown adult, I can understand just even limited what that's like. Cause I, I have that relationship with popcorn. It sounds really totally. dumb, but it's, I think it's. No, it, it, it's so valid. And I actually have so many experiences like that. And it's almost where I love something so much that I just eat the heck out of it. And then I completely burn out on it. And so mm-hmm. I can relate to my clients a lot because that happens with a lot of kids too. And um, I have ADHD as well. And um, so that's something I've grown up managing. And also, I think it really helps me relate to my clients um, as well as outside of my brother being autistic. But, um, you know, I've learned that that's also something that is really common in ADHD as well, too. Mm-hmm. And it's called food jagging. So there's actually a term for it. So you eat, 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 eat burn out. <laughs> so that food jagging is like that process. I, I, I understand the process. I didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The feeding term. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Well, you know, we learn something new every day. Yeah, you know. Um, so when it comes to, you know, advice for parents who are, who are just trying to navigate this, do you have any? Mm-hmm. I, I know that's so kind of a, an open question, but so much. I think the first thing is, is that if you're a parent who has been worried about your child's eating for a long time and you feel like you've been dismissed, know that it's not you. Unfortunately, it's the system. And unfortunately, it's just not enough practitioners who've been trained in this to understand that th- this is really a big deal. It can have like lasting nutrition implications and so if you ever feel like you've been a part of this, just know I'm on your team, I'm on your side and like fully support you. I think if parents ever have any concerns about their child's eating, I think they should always be taken seriously um, and investigated. So that's the first thing that I say. Um, the second thing is um, finding somebody who is going to be able to support your child that has the right training. Like I said before, just having a feeding therapist or someone who says they can do feeding therapy, but they're also a you know speech therapist or occupational therapist who do have you know experience with food that doesn't mean they're trained to be a feeding therapist you have to get additional training or maybe it's a behavioral therapist like a bcba who's like yeah sure we can do feeding therapy that does not mean that they're trained in feeding therapy or that they have that approach to like with autism and sensory processing disorder and arfid so i think just know it's not all the same. And we want to make sure that we're not doing more harm than good when it comes to feeding. Um, so I would definitely look up the SOS approach. They have a therapist finder. If you go to their website um, and you can type in your zip code and find somebody nearby, there's also a really great organization called Feeding Matters. And um, they talk so much about ARFID and then something else called Pediatric Feeding Disorder which um, is a newer diagnosis within the past few years that um, talks about like, I mean, it's a, it's a really beneficial diagnosis that basically says, okay, this child's eating is not um, age appropriate or like developmentally appropriate. And maybe there are certain other things that are wrapped up in that. So like the ability to feed themselves or medical issues that um, are going to affect their ability to eat, or maybe it's like a feeding skill, like chewing and swallowing. So maybe a child doesn't have ARFID, maybe they have pediatric feeding disorder, maybe have both. You can have both. Um, but that organization is called Feeding Matters. If I didn't say that, they also have a therapist finder where you can type in your zip code and find somebody nearby. Um, I think both Feeding Matters and the SOS approach to feeding are two fantastic ways to find therapists in your area. 
um, that can work one-on-one. And then if you're looking for that additional support of like, well, let's bring this home, like in the day-to-day life, um, how are we going to create an environment and uh, to set my child up for success? How are we going to create a plan of foods that fit inside their sensory profile, but also meet their nutritional needs? That's where Mm -hmm. I come. So I support families. Um, I do everything that I do online through my membership site. So not only can you learn these sensory friendly approaches, um, and learn what you need to be doing at home to start implementing this. But you also get connected with other parents who have autistic children or kids with ARFID. Like, it's such a special thing to be able to connect with others and realize that you're not alone in this and you're not the only one who's struggling with it too. Um, so that's one thing that I really love about my membership outside of the, I mean, I support families. I'm literally in there every single day answering questions and giving support and helping create plans on what we're going to do next. Um, But like I said, for kids who have severe feeding issues, we want that and the one-on-one feeding. Okay. And I would think when you're able to connect with other parents, that that's so validating because I, I feel like, you know, even just dealing with autistic kids or kids with ADHD, I mean, not everybody understands that. And, and it can be very demoralizing to, to not be connected with other people who, who get it, who don't judge you, who don't question everything that you're doing, even if they're well-intentioned, it's, it's validating to have people who are walking that same path. I, I guess if that makes sense. Oh my gosh. A thousand percent. That's like the most common thing that I see people actually see in the community. Like, Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Other people are experiencing this as well. Like I don't feel so alone in this. I don't feel like something's wrong with me or anything's wrong with my child. It's like we were just taking the wrong approach that was recommended to us. And that's Mm -hmm. not your fault. You know, it's a system that's just not built up for kids with additional sensory needs or, um, you know, ARFID and autism and sensory processing disorder. Um, It should be. It's so backwards. And if we have one in 36 kids on the autism spectrum, why is our system not set up to support them? That's a really good question. A very, very good question. So I'll, I'll stop there because I, I could fire off because I get so frustrated. Um, there's just not enough support. And we've come a long way. I mean, we talked about this, Rob, with your kids being diagnosed in 2005. Mm-hmm. We've come mm-hmm. a really long way, but we still have a lot to go. Okay. Thank you. All right. So so we've we've hopefully helped you guys out with better understanding what ARFID is and, and some resources there. I'll have those links in the show notes. Um, but let's also just kind of touch on supplements in general, because I've been getting a lot of questions about when, like, like, should I give my kids supplements? If so, like what supplements should I, should I give? How should I give it? And and then what are things that I should avoid? And I know we kind of talked about like the fish oil and, uh, multivitamins and things like that, but there, there's parents asking questions about like protein powders. Cause that's huge right now yeah. in, in the world. Um, or things like boost shakes, or I've even had a parent ask, parents ask about like slim fast powder, like to make is like a, is like a supplement to things, you know, but how, how do we navigate supplements when it comes to our kids and how do we know when we should be uh, looking at those? So it's a seemingly simple question, but it is so complex. So there's no, kind of like I said earlier, there's no like template that everyone should be following, no protocol. And unfortunately, we see some health practitioners who are like, this is my autism protocol. I'm like, that's, that shouldn't be a thing because there's no one size fits all. Everyone's diet is so in particular, so particular. Everybody's genetic makeup is so different. Like you can't, you can't just oversimplify it and slap the words autism protocol on it. So. I mean, when we're talking nutritional needs, I mean, a multivitamin is going to have the widest impact, but there's, again, like no one perfect supplement that's going to fit everyone's needs. Now, it doesn't make sense also for us to like go out and like everyone have a customized multivitamin. So we just choose the best ones that we have access to. They're going to do the best at filling in those nutritional needs. Um, what you're looking for is a multivitamin one, high quality one. We don't just want one off the shelf at Walgreens or Target or wherever. We want a solid multivitamin that is going to have activated nutrients. And what that means is that when you give this 
uh, like especially B vitamins. When you give these vitamins, the body doesn't have to activate them, which is a really common process that has to happen. They're already activated. So like, let's say that you go grab a Flintstones multivitamin off the shelf. It's going to have the cheapest ingredients in it that half your body has to do work to transition it into the form that your body can use. Mm -hmm. So what we want is the form that's already active because we see that kids, um, autistic kids have a hard time with that process or many of them do. So we want an active vitamin. Now, um, I, I don't want to, you know, just start name dropping, but I will say behind the scenes, um, I am actually working on, uh, something to help with this, creating a better multivitamin for kids on the spectrum. So more to come on that, hopefully later this year that we can actually, you know, share more information on that. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do want a high quality one and then yeah, the fish oil, but then in addition to that protein powder, Kids need a lot less protein than we realize. I think that we like put our adult lens on children. Um, what adults need is, so you have to calculate your weight in kilograms. So it's pounds divided by 2.2 mm -hmm. times 0 0.8. That's how many grams minimum you need as an adult. Now, if you are very active or maybe you're sick or you need some extra protein. Usually that need goes up to like 1.2. So like you multiply that by kilograms. For kids, it's different. Um, and these like protein needs change based on their ages. So like kids age one to three need a certain amount of protein per kilogram. Kids four to eight. And then after eight, it splits like males nine to 13, females nine to 13. So it splits. So there, it's like I, I'm getting too much into it, but kids just don't need as much as adults do. They don't weigh as much. Um, their needs are different. And usually the protein powder is not necessary at all. And, and usually it's way too much on their kidneys. So like if you are going to add some extra protein to it, I'm talking like five grams of protein per day, like nothing big. We're not talking like a big like adult boost that has like 20 grams of protein. That's just too much. And for some kids, that's all the protein they need in a day. So um, I recommend calculating that and figuring it out. If there are many major gaps and your child doesn't eat any protein or any protein foods, yes, it might be needed, but we want to make sure we're also choosing like a, the best quality we can um, so that those nutrients, or, you know, that's going to also support your child too. So mm -hmm. um, I actually have a calculator, like a protein calorie fiber calculator inside of my membership that people can go through and calculate their child's nutrient needs. And then I walk wow. you through how to do a, a one day food journal to compare. So like, do they need fiber, more fiber? Do they need more protein? Um, and I will say more kids need more fiber than they need more protein. Okay. Cause I think like a lot of times, like, like I do protein supplements cause I work out every day. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I have, I try to maintain like a higher level of protein and less other things. Uh, but kids are not just little adults, yeah. right? And so I, I think a lot of times we tend to assume that it's just scaled down because they're just a little bit smaller, but their needs may be completely different than what we need as adults or, you know, adults like who are, who are very active or working out or building muscle, like whatever their protein needs are different than kids who are just growing up or, or kids who are maybe not you know, ha having, uh, feeding issues or, or things like that. And I think parents just get, I, th I think we get anxious and I oh, think sure. we, we kind of panic sometimes and we're like, oh my God, like they're not eating chicken, so they don't get protein. So I need to find something to supplement that with. And, and I don't think enough parents r recognize that that may not necessarily be the case. Yeah. And like you said, I, I've got some amazing friends who are pediatricians and they're amazing at what they do, but they can only specialize in so like many things. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so connecting with a dietitian to help you navigate the nutritional things where you can run labs and you can actually know what's okay and what's not. So you can adjust it as, as needed until it's where it needs to be is a safer approach than just kind of throwing things willy nilly into a blender or trying to sneak things into their yogurt or, you know, whatever. I mean, I've tried all that stuff with my kids and it almost never works, but <laughs> you're here to tell the tale. You're here to say, Hey, yeah. I, the most successful oh. thing that I've ever found was making 
like chicken noodle soup in a pressure cooker so that I could, so it became sort of like bone broth. Yeah. And then like all the vegetables would just break down inside the broth. So they couldn't see that they were there. And um, yeah, I was able to throw all kinds of stuff in there. My instant pot is my favorite kitchen appliance. It's so easy. And I think it like, I mean, it cooks things so easy. You just throw it all in. I like it better than a slow cooker. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I'll see people also who will um, it, uh, pressure cook veggies and then in broth, and then they will use like a hand blender and make it really thick um, mm-hmm. and like add it to mac and cheese um, or whatever it might be. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. But the the important piece I'll add on to that too, like if your child's favorite food is mac and cheese, we're not sneaking veggies in. like. And if they only eat a few foods, what we can do if you really want to work up to that is like be upfront about it, be obvious about it. And like you can prepare the mac and cheese with butternut squash or whatever you you know want to add to it, but put it in a different compartment on their plate alongside the other compartment of their favorite way that it's prepared. Mm-hmm. So it's very obvious. You're not trying to pull one over on them, but it's a new food. It's a it is a new food. We can't treat it like the same. And I think for kids, they're able to see, ooh, that is different. I have my favorite. Um, and you start super small and kind of build your way up mm-hmm. from there. Um, but just wanted to throw that in just so, I mean, I love yeah. putting veggies and stuff, but we have to be careful too. Yeah. Well, and especially our kids, because like my youngest can taste every ingredient in yes. things. Like it's insane. I, we've talked about that before. It's amazing. And I the only way that I could get things past him where he was okay with it was in that pressure cooked broth to where everything just breaks down and then he would eat it and we would just it'd be like magic. Like, look, all look, all this stuff we're putting in here. Mm-hmm. And then three hours later, after I run it through like twice, <laughs> there's like, it's all gone, you know? And it's just, you know, chicken noodle soup. And they thought, Oh, it's the coolest thing ever. And then they couldn't, you know what I mean? So like we can be creative, but, but, but you were upfront about it. You talked. About yeah. It. Right. Like I think that's so creative. So key. I think that's great because you're going to build more trust too. Yeah. Because if they trust you not to, the trust with their food is fragile and their trust with us can be that way too. And so if you try to sneak things in, in a way and you get caught, then that could be a huge problem. So like be upfront. Like I, I, we would experiment and be like, Hey guys, let's see if we can make all this stuff disappear and see if you can taste it. Like make a game out of it to where they liked it. Great. If they didn't, whatever but if they liked it then we can add that to the list and we can experiment with different things and see if we can have you know more fun with it and uh just creative ways of of making things work and i totally hear like a parent in my ear being like well if i'm upfront about it they're never going to eat it and then i'm like yes it's not the quick way it's not the overnight way right the overnight Mm -hmm. way is sticking sneaking stuff in your child's food running the risk of them not eating that food anymore the quick and dirty way it almost never works and it almost always backfires this is the might be the longer way, but it's the sustainable way that's also going to help your child build a positive relationship with food, which is what we're after. So that trust, that confidence, that comfort, like that is what we want. And that's what we're after. But it usually doesn't happen overnight. You know, yeah. this is like a, a process that you go through. And I think that's also why the parents in my membership like having the community, because sometimes it's like, oh. I've been doing this for a week and it feels like forever. It's like, it's okay. We're all working on this. We're sticking to it. And you see those benefits when you stick to things, but it's hard to do it on your own. You know, when you don't have accountability and the support. Well, you have your, you have your village of people who get it. Yeah. (laughs) And, and that's, that's hard. I mean, that's hard to, that's hard to find because anytime someone throws something in our way or, or they question what we're doing, it makes us question ourselves because we're already kind of like, way too hard on ourselves and we're, we're, we're feeling like we're failing our kids because they're only eating so many things or they're underweight or whatever pressure we're putting on ourselves, uh, to be surrounded by people who are going through something similar, who can validate what you're feeling and, and remind you that you're a good parent. You're doing the best you can. This is not your fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's just something that you've got to, you've got to work through until you get to the other end, you know? And I, I think that's very helpful. Uh, for parents to kind of find that strength to pick up and keep moving forward because it is, it's a marathon. It's not a race. And, and when you try to take shortcuts, the, the, the fallout from that can set you back, you know, significantly. And I mean, that's the beauty of 
you know, an online space too, is that you can do this because you do this for your followers mm-hmm. too, is you create yeah. a space where they're like, Hey, I belong here. Like people are going through the same thing, which is really beautiful. So, um, I mean, kudos to you for creating that, which is amazing. So thank you. Well, I, I, well, I learned a lot cause I was really, <laughs> I was really, I had to look into what this, uh, what this was because I had never heard about it before. Then I'm thinking like, Oh my God, did I miss that with my kids? And so I was like, we need to have a conversation. Thank you for being willing to do this. And you know, when you have things come up, we'll do more conversations if you want, because there's always fun ways to collaborate. How, how can, if if people are interested in connecting with you and your membership, how, like, what's the best way for them to find you? Yeah. The best way is Instagram. I am on there every single day. Um, you can DM me on Instagram. It's just at autism dietitian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel. I'm on every social media channel you could imagine, but the conversations flow the easiest and get answered the quickest on Instagram. Okay. Um, and then I do have a membership site called the nourishing autism collective that I have mentioned to a few times, um, that where I support parents and build community around helping them expand their child's diet in the sensory friendly way that we've talked about um, and all of the steps that you need to learn in between to do this and come up with a plan and um, find that community. So that's where I support families. Um, but you can connect with me on Instagram is the best place. Okay. And I'll have all that in the show notes again, like last time. And I really appreciate everything that you do. Thank you for being willing to come on and of course. Uh, educate all of us about what this stuff is and and how we can better navigate this with our kids. So I I really appreciate it. Thank you. Of course. I love it. I always love coming on your podcast. So reach out anytime. Yeah. Well, you're always welcome. Thank you. (laughs) You have a great, uh, what is today? I don't know. Tuesday. Goodness. Oh my God. It's only Tuesday. I know. (laughs) That was my reaction too. It's like a, it's a week where every day feels like a Monday. (laughs) And I've lost track of the, I've lost track of the days already and it's only Tuesday. Oh, well. (laughs) Anyhow. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. My best to your family and uh, we will be in touch. Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks everyone. Before we go, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and for all the support you guys have shown me over the last seven seasons. I am so grateful and appreciative of each and every one of you. If you have found this useful or you just enjoyed listening, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever app you're listening to this on or share it with your friends or whatever, uh, it's a great way to support the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You guys can reach me at theautismdad.link. That's theautismdad.link. And we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye.